Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening. Folks, thank you very, very much for listening. The date today is the 13th of December, year of our Lord 2013. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shoot the J. Now, most of you aren't going to be listening to this on the 13th, as I'm recording this at like 11 o'clock, I think, almost central time. Um, So it's pretty late at night, but I had some thoughts that were kind of going around. I wanted to punch them out. I wanted to kind of knock some stuff out, get it out there a little bit. And talk about it. Um, I'm not going to do very much, if at all. I'm not. I don't think I'm going to do any Pistons in this episode, just because we are going to cover them in the next episode of Motown Rundown, which will drop on Thursday of this week. Of this, what day is it? Yeah, of this week. And I don't want to overlap because I know some people double up and listen to both, and I, I don't want to be you know a broken record and just kind of say the same things over. So for those of you who do listen to both, thank you very much. Um, and then a lot of the things, I mean, a lot of the things I'm about to say, I've said on other mediums and other platforms. Like I know for a fact, James, James the moderator, how you doing, buddy? I know you're listening to this. You're about to hear me say a lot of the things I've been saying recently um, over on Locker Room. But let's get into it. Basketball is back. It's full back. I'm excited. It's here. I I couldn't believe. It. I was like, oh yeah, cool. Like preseason basketball. The NBA is back. That's awesome. And then the, like all these games start tipping off, and I'm like, just excited, man. Like it's like Christmas, even though it literally is almost Christmas. Just all these games to choose from, and I'm just happy. Uh, we can start with, and I I guess technically I'm going to be talking about the Pistons game, but more specifically. With the Knicks, like, Obi Toppin, the way that he played in their first preseason game, because he wasn't as great in the second one, but in the first one, um, a lot of the stuff he was doing that was successful was with his back to the basket or within 10 to 12 feet, right? And then everything outside of that was kind of like, let's, I don't know. I don't I don't really know. Um, and the thing with him that I always said and that everybody always said was, you know, you're not worried about Obi Toppin scoring in the NBA. You're worried about him defending. And that's kind of just, he's honestly been a little bit better than what I thought he was going to be. Is that saying much? Uh, No. But a lot of what he's been doing productive has been on the offensive end. Using his elbows, using his shoulders, legally, I should add. And is just, you know, I think he only had like one dunk against the Pistons in both of their games. It might have been two, but I know for a fact that he had one. Second game, he's like just pulling up from like 30 feet. I think he did it two or three times. And I was like, I think he hit one of them. Um, but for the most part, I was like, you know what, man, I'm actually kind of surprised with how good you actually are. And like, you're not the player of the year for no reason. Right. But it just feels like we spent so much time talking about how concerned we were with Obi Toppin that it almost felt like he was doomed to fail. And especially going through the Knicks, it was kind of like, you know, I don't know. Um, RJ Barrett gets off to a hilariously bad start first preseason game against Detroit. I think he was like 0 for 5, and like 2 or 3 of those were from deep. And then he actually recovers, and if memory serves, and I could be off by a few, I think he finishes the game like 7 of 9, and he really gets it together, and he's a lot more crafty with the ball. And that also happened um, in the second game against Detroit, and he was even getting to the line a few times. He was doing such a good job drawing contact and using his body productively. So that was good to see because I genuinely am rooting for that Duke trio, um, you know, Zion and and rj and cam reddish and all of them right now i think out of all of them it's like the power rankings are obviously zion's one you put rj at two but the only reason you put him at two is because cam reddish is just such a question mark so you're just kind of like well i guess i i guess that means rj has to go at you know the second out of all of them right now 
Um, which isn't really, not that it's much of a surprise anyways, because I think if you had to ask anybody going into the draft, you know, in five years, where do you think these players are going to be at out of all three of them? That's probably what you would say anyways, right? Zion, RJ, and Cam. Um, moving forward, uh, I turn on the Cavs game. Cavs are playing the Pacers in their preseason opener, and I believe this was yesterday. As of me recording this, it was yesterday. Now, the reason I turned this on was because a friend of mine, um, Aaron Burkhardt, who actually has been on the show before, is a big Jetty Osman guy. And anybody who's ever turned into my tuned into my live streams or pretty much anything that I've ever done, um, you've probably seen him throwing around a few comments trying to get me to talk about Jetty because I won't do it because I don't really know that he's that great. I, I think he's okay. I really do think he's okay for being in Cleveland. Like, I think he's the way that he is because he's with Cleveland. But I also think some of it is that I, I, I've never really liked the way that he's utilized. Like, he's really strong with his baseline cuts. And um, he is a really strong and capable spot-up shooter, catch-and-shoot guy. Um, but I just always want to see him, you know, bring in those baseline cuts and those elbow cuts and just kind of see what he can do off the ball a little bit more. And it always felt like Cleveland wouldn't always maximize his potential. Well, rest assured, that is actually exactly what happened in their uh, preseason opener. I think Jetty had 17 in the first half. I believe it was 17. Finishes the game with 23, I believe. I think he hit, like, three threes. Um, it's it's staggering that this is, I think, my 44th episode of the show, and I will not put anything in front of me. Like, I will not pull up box scores. I will not pull up notes. None of it. It's all off the dome. Um, Jetty was great, but the real story of that game, and I wasn't really kidding the way that I was tweeting about it, which actually made me learn something that, like, Nick, I you probably shouldn't tweet about the Cavs because the engagement sucks because nobody cares. It has nothing to do with the fact that you don't have any Cavs followers, which I don't. I think I have, like, five. It's the fact that nobody cares anyways. Even if I did have them, nobody would care. You know, I one of the reasons I was even reluctant to tune in was because I knew Colin Sexton wasn't playing. And you guys know I'm a huge Colin Sexton guy. I think he, like, turned an ankle the day or two before, and that's I, I believe that's why. But the story of the game um, was Isaac Okoro. And what I was tweeting about before all the Okoro stuff began to happen was like, give me Dylan Windler minutes. Because he played a handful, I think, in the first quarter. And then it was nothing. And then Dylan Windler checks into the game. And I'm like, all right, here we go. This is it. This is my moment. I mentioned it last week on Motown Rundown with James Edwards and Matthew. I brought up Dylan Windler. I wasn't doing that to be funny. I was doing that because I'm genuinely excited to see what he does for the Cavs this year, considering he was out all last season. He's such a strong three-point threat. I really want to see what he can do with Garland and Sexton. And sure enough, he comes in, and he gets, a, I think, a spot-up three in the left corner. No, wait, it was in the right corner. Air balls over the rim. All right, like, that's all right. You know, nerves. It's, you know what, man, it's whatever. Training camp wasn't that long. I get it. It's okay. You know, it's your first real action. I know he played in the summer league, but that doesn't count. And then uh, the next shot attempt that he had, I think three possessions later, left corner, hits the side of the backboard, and I'm like, okay. Now at this point, you can only go up from here. And he did, but it wasn't like a jump shot. I He had like an offensive board um, right under the rim, and he just put it back up. And I was like, hey, like that's progress, right? That's <laughs> That's not nothing. The real story, though, really was Isaac Okoro. He scores 16 points in the fourth quarter, including the game-winning bucket with three-tenths of a second remaining. Might as well have been a buzzer beater um, in transition. The defense that he played on, uh, it was TJ McConnell, I believe, like 10 feet, 12 feet away from the basket. 
I think it was actually probably like 12 to 15 feet away from the basket. The fall away, you know, Okoro stayed with him the whole time. One of the observations that I made um, with Isaac Okoro defensively, which is obviously, you know, why he was regarded as high as he was in this draft was because of his defensive abilities and the upside that he shows there at the next level. It's why Cleveland picked him up at five, right? But um, wh- I'm watching him play. And I one of the things I was thinking was, what was that guy's name? from attack of the clones uh obi-wan like brings him the dart dex was his name i I think his name was dex right someone will correct me on that and he has like four arms however many arms that guy has that's if he played basketball that's how isaac okoro defends he's everywhere all the time he's so unbelievably physical and like he'll have like he's like almost hand checking but like will also just have both hands in passing lanes. He's just such a great he's so great with his ball denials and jumping these passing lanes and just contesting shots and forcing such difficult looks that eventually like you saw at the end of the game translate into offensive looks because he's actually running back. He's just so freaking athletic, man, and he's so fast and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, he's just going to be like Stanley Johnson like his jump shots broken." I think he missed a pair of threes or, or whatever it was. I think he actually did go two of four. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's one preseason game against a Pacer team that is good but wasn't trying very hard. I know that. You know that too. But it's still really fun. It, like, it makes you excited for the Cavs because it's like, wow, they actually probably nailed this pick. And it, I think we all, for the most part, thought that at the time, mainly because it wasn't a point guard. Um Watching Okora play was super fun, just super fluid on offense. Um, the way that, like, Sekou was playing tonight for Detroit, just finding the open spaces, or even Giles in Portland, which we're going to get to in a second, finding the open spaces on the defense and, you know, making those cuts off the ball, it just always finding the soft spot, man. And I, I really had a lot of fun watching that Cavs game. I, I really, truly, genuinely did. Damian Dotson was also great. And I, I always liked Damian Dotson. I really liked him with the Knicks because that dude will just – he's like the Jaleel Okafor of guards. But I – well, actually, no, I actually I'll, – I'll, I'll stick with that. I'll stand by that because he's, he's just stability, if that. Sometimes he'll be a bit of a minus. But then once every two weeks he's going to give you that, you know, 17 and 6 – and you're going to coast off that momentum for the next two weeks. And as soon as it kind of starts, like, you'll look at it like, see, like, he's a, you know. And you'll coast off that for two weeks. And then once it kind of starts to die down, Damian Dotson's going to do it again. Jaleel Okafor does it again. You're like, ah, yeah, there it is. See, that's why we still have him. I just love Damian Dotson. And I remember I, there was some rumors like two years ago that Detroit was going to go after him. That would have been cute. Um, I like him in Cleveland. He was fun. He was a good facilitator for them. Um, I, I, I think he's if he's like a second unit guy, that's pretty fun. I like that a lot. They played Okoro a lot at the two, if memory serves. And that's interesting. I didn't really expect that to happen with them. Figured he'd be just like a primary three. But I like it, nonetheless. One of the other games I watched, um, and I I did make a video about this, was Sacramento in Portland, the first game that they played. I was not able to watch the second one, which was tonight, because it overlapped with Detroit. And obviously, as much as I love my Kings and Harry Giles, I'm not really going to prioritize them over Detroit. So I'm watching that game, and one of the craziest things is, like, you know, a lot of these guys, especially most of them in Portland, even a guy like Ennis Cantor, who even though he's new to the team, like he was still playing with Boston into the second round, um, 
like these guys are, you know, not fresh removed from the bubble, but they've had a lot less time um, to recover than most teams. And I know the Kings played in the bubble, but they didn't make the playoffs. And Dame is just out there putting up 32 footers like it's nothing and then burying them and then just walking away like, yeah, yep. Like, I shattered the NBA record last year for 30-footers, made 30-footers plus in a season. Yeah, it's just kind of what I do. Living up to that reputation and exceeding it on a nightly basis as if it's nothing is just one of the more impressive things that I've seen probably in my life from any individual player. And I love it. And one of the issues that Sacramento had last season was actually defending the three-point line. And it didn't come particularly easily against the team with, you know, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony, who I believe went for 21 and was just on fire in the first half. I think he, I think it was Harrison Barnes was diving on the ground for a loose ball on the left wing. And um, Carmelo Anthony just like reached down, ripped it out of Harrison Barnes's arms as he's laying on the ground sidesteps to the left and just puts up the shot and it goes in and it's like jesus man the guy couldn't miss and i'm just so happy for him it's probably honestly it's it's probably the cornrows now that that's back um and then also you throw in gary trent in there as well so those four guys cj dame Mello, and gary trent jr who i tweeted this and i wasn't able to flesh it out the way that i wanted to and i was like i'll do it on the podcast i still can't quite figure it out but I said something to the effect of, like, Gary Trent read the Pascal Siakam book on, like, how to get really good really fast. And, like, chapter one was basically the name of the book. Because Gary Trent Jr. basically was like, hey, I'm going to go shoot, like, 60-plus percent in the bubble for a little bit from three. And um, if you haven't bought my stock yet, that's too bad because it's not trading anymore. We're actually private. No more shares available. Um, that train has left the station. Yeah, he just pretty much picked up where he left off. Gary Trent's amazing. And then I was, oh, James, if you're listening to this, you're going to be so mad. Who's that guy? Who's that rookie? This was another thing I was talking about the other day. CJ Ellaby was his name, right, from Washington State. They were talking about him on the broadcast, and um, I, I enjoy him. I didn't think he was going to be very productive, hence why he went, I think, 42nd in the draft. But it's, and it's especially difficult for him because if he wants minutes in the rotation, he has to be better than Gary Trent which is like, okay, so you're probably not going to play. Um, but he's making all the right plays on defense. And, and like I mentioned with Okoro just a minute ago, like if you make plays on defense, oftentimes it will open up looks for you on offense, right? If you're playing smart and you're, you're running back. And it didn't really work out that way all the way for him. But defensively, at least, um, he was always making the right plays, super high energy, and I really liked it. And Harry Giles was obviously in that game Kind of the catalyst a little bit. I think 18 and 14, I believe, was his final line. One of the biggest things with him in Sacramento, and I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to regurgitate everything that I said in the video that I made about him. For, but for those of you who haven't heard me talk about him before, which would be insane because I do it all the time, um, you know, he, he's showing, he's showing a lot of improvement. Like hitting uh, elbow jumpers was like, I was like, I don't remember you like ever doing that. And that could just be me being blind and not paying attention. And then like him putting up, what did he put up? Two three-pointers? I think it might have just been one. And it, it, it just airballed it, which made me really mad. I just still don't understand why he did that. 
Maybe he was just in a gym this offseason and he did what every big man does. Um, and then it doesn't translate. No, but Harry Giles was great, and that's why I've maintained that in terms of contender pickups, depth pickups, um, Portland getting Harry Giles was maybe the most significant under the radar um, acquisition this offseason. And I, I don't really know if it's close. Like, I wouldn't even, I mean, you could probably throw Montrez Hale in there, but again, that's not really under the radar because it's A, the Lakers, B, he left from the Clippers, and C, it was the sixth man of the year. So it's not really under the radar. It's a really important depth pickup. But if you want to talk about, like, how did this team that people aren't really expecting to contend but, like, is quote-unquote in contention like Portland, how did they get better? Well, they got Harry Giles. They also got Ennis Cantor, who, by the approximation of some, has played the best basketball of his career during his first stint in Portland just, what, two years ago. Um, and he was also pretty good in OKC, but I always really liked him in Portland. He left for Boston. I was kind of mad. Um, watching Giles, though, it just makes me so happy. Finishing off the night with the windmill dunk, which was spectacular. Um, you know, throwing it down on Jabari Parker. Who Jabari Parker? Just I, I don't. The dude just got like big, but not like strong or fat. Like he just got maybe wide. I I don't I don't know. Like he just there's more width. To Jabari Parker, like I, for me, I swear to God, I'm watching it. Like, who is that right now? And I was like, Oh my God, it's Jabari Parker. Oh, how the mighty fall! I was really rooting for Jabari. Parker. It was so funny. I was watching a um a draft from the other day. I don't remember what year it was. Whatever year Jabari Parker got drafted, and it was like Milwaukee's picking fourth. And I'm like, Who did they draft that year? It's like I don't. I, that wasn't Bogut because he was what one. I'm like, Who did they draft? Jabari Parker. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I always forget about Jabari. Um, Rashawn Holmes was also great for the Kings and I've just, I've always been a really, really big Rashawn Holmes guy. One of my bigger overreactions that I was tweeting about was how much I enjoyed watching Halliburton control the offense. And for a brief moment for like five minutes, I legitimately thought, Oh my God, like Tyrese Halliburton might be, might, might have better command and control of the pace of this offense than De'Aaron Fox, the guy who just got like $180 million. Nope. No, that that first stint was really good. But then after that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, Fox came back out. And there were some minutes, um, if memory serves, where he and uh, Halliburton and Fox actually shared, the, shared some minutes together. Because normally what it was in that first game was Fox and Heald. Second unit was Halliburton and Corey Joseph, who was great. He was really fun. But Tyrese Halliburton always dribbles really scared. It was really weird. And watching his mechanics in the NBA, watching him actually knock down, like nothing but net, splash a left corner three with that jump shot was wild. But it was like, it's beautiful because it worked. But if it misses, it's not cute. Let's see, what are the, what are, what are the games that I watch? Because I definitely feel like I'm forgetting something. I don't know if I did. Well, I guess I went for about 20 minutes. So this is maybe even a little bit longer than the standard episode of Shoot the J. So maybe we should just wrap this thing up. Um, if you guys want to hear my thoughts and Matthew's thoughts on the Pistons last two games, we will be recording on Wednesday. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit of Lions and then whatever whatever else happens over the next few days. We'll come up with some stuff. Motown Rundown dropping on Thursday. We're going to talk Pistons. Um, if you made it this far, folks, genuinely, thank you very, very much for listening. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate five stars and subscribe. I will catch you guys in the next one.